0: Hello everybody, Dennis Prager here. Well, everybody who who comments on on matters in modern life or contemporary life, I'm sure everyone, every talk show host, not all columnists by any means, but certainly talk show hosts and many podcasters have commented on Miss Netherland's. Entering the, what is it, Miss Universe? Is it the Miss Universe competition? So Netherlands, which is uh, run by uh, a very strange, woke world of officials, has named a man who looks like a woman uh, as Miss Netherlands. The, the, The real trick is to watch the faces of the real women... He's not really a woman, my friends, and I don't say this to hurt him or her. I say this to preserve truth as as the most important of our values. This is not a woman who won Miss Netherlands. It is a man who looks like a woman. Do you realize, this? this I have not heard commented on, do you realize that the authorities who choose Miss Netherlands have stated that they have given their highest accolade to a man who presumably castrated himself or had himself castrated. Do do you understand what, what, what sickness the West has descended into? We honor you for surgically removing your penis and testicles, your scrotum and uh, creating artificial breasts, we honor you with the title of Miss Netherlands and we're all supposed to cheer and the sick world of the left, it is evil but it is also sick, thinks that you're a hater if you say that this is really a man who looks like a woman. But that's exactly correct. Now, let me make something clear. If this person were dressed in a dress and looks the way this person looks and were my waitress or my server, I would I would not say, gee, what's your sex? I would just say, ma'am, can I... Have more more napkins, please. Because I, I, like every one of you, address people by the way they look. A person looks female, I will say, ma'am. Looks male, I will say, sir. I don't know, I'll say, excuse me. (laughs) And that has happened on occasion. It's rare. It has happened. My wife and I were served in Denmark uh, at a restaurant by a man wearing a dress but it was so obviously a man that all i could do really was feel sorry for him and i did i felt sorry for him what what are we supposed to what are we supposed to say a real Woman, one Miss Netherlands. What is it we are? What lie are we supposed to engage in? Let us say Miss Netherlands. Well, I guess could not be non-binary because I assume that would be an interesting question. What if Miss Netherlands had said, "I'm non-binary" and competed for Miss Netherlands? But I guess you can't because you have to affirm in some way that you're a female. I, I assume. I, I don't know. It's, it's a worthy question. when I think of young people and the confusion that the left has thrown them into, what is the percentage of Brown University students who say that they are LGBTQ or IRA? 40 40 or 45? 40? 40. What I would like to know is what percentage of the 40% are female? Because it uh, it, it has definitely affected more females than males. Brown University all of my life has been associated with idiocy. When, in the 1970s, I don't remember this exactly, but uh, we could easily look it up. In the 1970s, Brown University, I recall doing something like this, storing, uh, storing provisions in case of nuclear attack. Do you remember that at all? No. You, you're probably not following the news in the 70s. I'm, I'm not kidding. No, I, I wasn't. Oh, you were? Yeah. So take a look. Brown University, 1970s, provisions for nuclear attack. That's, that's what I would put in. <laughs> it has it always been associated with far-out ideas. Where is it? In Providence? Is that where Brown is? Rhode Island is a strange state. It's... It's tiny and weird. It is relentlessly left-wing. And so it is, my dear friends. Miss Netherlands is a man. The fact that Miss Netherlands doesn't look like a man doesn't change anything. It's so interesting that we have not allowed the same exact imprecision. You are what you feel to race. I don't understand the difference. Since race is far more subjective than sex, sex is objective. Your chromosomes, your brain, not to mention your genitalia. Yet, Nobody can Nobody can claim they tried, and they were excoriated, but I don't understand why. If a person says, I, I feel that I am black, who are you to say you're not? Mere skin color will determine whether you're black. Does any biracial, that is... Black father or mother, uh, or b- black parent and white parent, to be, make it easier. Do any individuals from such a union say they're white? Barack Obama's a perfect example. He said that he's black, but he's as much white as he is black. but i would like to know is there anybody who is biracial who says i'm white do you know of anyone do you are you familiar so here's a very interesting thing if it is if the america is so racist why if you had a choice would you identify as black why would you identify in a way that would render you Persecuted. Wouldn't you do everything possible? Did Jews under the Nazis seek to be to identify as Jews? Didn't they do everything possible, once the anti-Semitism kicked in, in its ferocious genocidal phase? Wouldn't they did? They did whatever they could. They would. They would get fake baptismal certificates from Christians who would try to help them. It's, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense, as I pointed out so often, that millions of blacks have moved to the United States from the Caribbean and Africa if America is systemically racist. America is systemically racist. It's as big a, a lie as. Uh, as men give birth. You are expected by the left to assert falsehoods. And if you don't assert falsehoods, you are declared all sorts of terrible things a hater, white nationalist, misogynist, transphobe. Isn't that something? And most people go along, but a lot don't. And this is driving the left crazy. Ask Bud Light. Though I'm more interested in hurting Target than I am hurting Bud Light. Target has, has hurt kids more than Bud Light has. 1-8 Prager 776. Oh, sorry. I thought you were a woman. Hi, folks. I'm delighted to announce my next listener cruise with the good people, quality people of Coastline Travel. England, Iceland, Greenland. Yes, Greenland. June 24 to July 5th, 2024, we'll be sailing on the Region 7 Seas, one of the most beautiful, luxurious ships I've ever seen, the 7 Seas Splendor with white glove service, spacious rooms, superb cuisine. Region is a 5-star luxury line and all inclusive. That means business class airfare included. One night pre-hotel in London, shore excursions, unlimited beverages, gratuities, and of course special events with me. All covered in the cost. We'll visit spectacular places in Iceland, a port in Scotland, the Faroe Islands, and three ports in Greenland. But the best reason to travel is the fellow listeners you'll meet on my trip. They always sell out fast. Click the banner at DennisPrager.com or email PragerListeners at Coastline Travel. Again, the banner on my website or Send an email to pragerlisteners at coastlinetravel.com. There's something A good actually happening in, of uh, all, well, I would say it's not right to say of all places. I would expect it. Uh, it is as if somebody had heard me broadcasting for the last 10 years the exact same words. But I, I don't believe they took it from me. I, I, I Believe me, people can come up with this independently. Uh, but in The Federalist, why has election day turned into election month? The case challenging North Dakota's 13 extra election days is about helping to bring confidence back to elections nationwide. The amount of lying on the left is, uh, is equal to the number of left-wing positions. That this makes it better for the country and for democracy and for elections, to have two weeks a month to vote, what what this is it, it makes it it makes fraud far more easy, and it does something else. It says that the the founders of the country, believing in an election day, were stupid. We, you have to understand. The hubris, it transcends arrogance on on the part of all leftists historically. We know better than all those who came before us. We are enlightened. They are stupid. There is no question that the average leftist believes that he or she is much wiser than Washington, than Madison, than Jefferson, etc. There is no question they, after all, own slaves and that's all that one needs to know. They, these people are better human beings and wiser human beings. The notion that there should be an election day is preposterous. There should be an election month. Remember when election day used to be an actual day the peace begins? You'd gather with your family and friends to find out who the next president was going to be. Yeah, remember that when we got the election results that night? What happened? Why is it progress? That's their favorite word after all on the left. Why is it progress that we no longer know in close races who has won an election in any given state or in the country? Why is that progress? It was a time to celebrate our republic as Americans went to have their voices heard at the ballot box. The Public Interest Legal Foundation, of which I am president, is fighting in federal court to restore the day in Election Day. We filed a federal lawsuit in North Dakota to enforce federal law and stop the state from accepting ballots up to 13 days after Election Day. Oh well wait a minute that's this is the thirteen days after I'm talking about the thirteen days before, <laughs> so it's twenty six days. It's more than twenty six days. We allege that North Dakota's law allowing the election to drag on for almost two extra weeks conflicts with federal law. All right, that's good i will uh I will keep you abreast with regard to that. So here's a piece from the Washington, is that where it is? Is it the uh, Washington Examiner? Yeah. Chicago's crime problem is about to get worse. (laughs) Chicago's crime problem is notoriously bad and over the past few years it has only become more severe. Crime has spiked 68% since 2021 and there are no indications the trend will be reversing any time soon. Even worse, Chicago's new mayor, Brandon Johnson, just released a 223-page report. They're, they're gifted. You know why their reports are so long? So that no one reads them. That is the only reason. A 223 report titled, A Blueprint for Creating a More Just and Vibrant City for All. Notice what is missing. What word is missing? Safe. I thought safe was their their mantra. A more just and vibrant? How about beginning with more safe city? and included a truly disastrous public safety plan. But that's not in the title. The plan which was inspired by a struggle rooted in black liberation. Well, black liberation. Black liberation in the past 40 years or so? From what? What are they liberated from, or liberating from? Enslavement, persecution—what exactly? Contains no recommendations to increase enforcement of crimes. Well, that's a—that's uh, an odd construction of English. <laughs> we don't want to enforce crimes; <laughs> we want to enforce crime prevention. Instead, it proposes getting rid of a gang database. That's charming. Why? I want you, my dear listener, to come up with the reason. Why would the Chicago police force get rid of a gang database? Reason? Because of racial disparities. Oh, because there are more blacks and Hispanics, I presume, in the racial profile of the gang database. Hmm. Issuing an acknowledgement of harm toward black and Hispanic residents of the city, re envisioning. Oh, wait a minute. Wait, oh, we've gone from reimagine to re envision. Okay, they're, they're, that's what they do, they re a lot the role of a police officer, would you like to re-envision, this is, this is very important, this is the arrogance of the left in a nutshell. We will, we will come up with a new idea f- for what a policeman should do and our idea will be better. And if it leads to more innocent people dying, I can't think of a leftist who will lose sleep. We return, you are listening to the Dennis Prager show. Just when you thought it couldn't get any better, Mike Lindell with My Pillow is launching the My Pillow 2.0. When Mike invented MyPillow, it had everything you could ever want in a pillow. Now, nearly 20 years later, he discovered a new technology that makes it even better. The MyPillow 2.0 has the patented adjustable fill of the original MyPillow, and now with a brand new fabric that is made with a temperature-regulating thread. The MyPillow 2.0 is the softest, smoothest, and coolest pillow you'll ever own. For my listeners, the MyPillow 2.0 is buy one, get one free offer with promo code Prager. MyPillow 2.0 temperature regulating technology is 100% made in the USA and comes with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. Just go to MyPillow.com and click on the Radio Listener's Square to the buy one, get one free offer. Enter promo code Prager or call 800-761-6302 to get your MyPillow 2.0 now.
1: Come on, baby, give me one more chance. Well, I'm
0: delighted to once again have former Speaker of the House of Representatives, Newt Gingrich, on. He has a new book out, Anything He Writes is Worth Reading. And that is The Real Story. The subtitle is The Real Story of the Republican Revolution. It's titled March to the Majority. Mr. Speaker, welcome back to my show.
2: Well, it's always great to be with you. And I remember very fondly uh, a brilliant podcast we did about Leviticus and a book you'd written. It was just it was amazing how much you understand uh, and how great a teacher you are.
0: Wow, well. I'm going to have to keep this recording and and use it to publicize (laughs) my Bible commentary. Thank you so much. So I'll I'll begin with today and then go back to what you wrote about. I won't ask, is there hope? There's always hope. But is there a rational reason to believe that we can, we meaning Republicans, march to the majority again?
2: Sure. I mean, I think that, that there's no question as the system that the left has created breaks down uh, that you're going to see um, more and more countervailing mobilization of the American people. We have, we have a very interesting project, which uh, is the America's New Majority Project. People can actually go to com, And since 2018, we have been doing polling to find issues that are 70%, 80 90% issues, to find a way to unify the country. So these aren't Republican or conservative. These are American issues. For example, 84% of the country favors parental rights in education, 84%. Now, you you know, I, I, I worked with Reagan. I studied him starting in 65. I worked with him starting in 74. And I served in Congress and was president. I can tell you, part of the Reagan model is you find a seventy or eighty percent issue. Stand next to it and smile, uh, and your opponent either has to stand in your shadow, or he can side with the fifteen or twenty percent. The challenge is to get the Republican Party to understand. And by the way, Tim Scott has done a great job of this. He just put out a commercial where he has five propositions. Uh, one is that you should work. Uh, one is one is that uh, if you're a violent criminal, you should be locked up. If you borrow money, you should pay it back. If you're a man, you should compete in men's sports, uh, and that we need victors, not victims. We tested that at America's New Majority Project. That tested seventy-six percent approval. Mm.
3: Uh,
2: you know, and 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 then the other twenty-four percent is divided—about eleven percent disapprove, and the rest don't know or haven't made their mind up. So, I, I think you will see a steady move, and you're seeing this in all the red states now. I mean, all the red state governors are doing well. They're all moving towards a, a more conservative, freer, you know, anti-woke, pro-economic growth uh, model. And uh, I think that's gradually going to catch on. What, what slows it down is the degree to which states like uh, California, Illinois, New York are really machines. It's uh, you know, like Chicago. It no doesn't matter how bad things get. The Democrats are probably not going to lose Chicago because the machine survives – And the machine needs taxpayer money to pay itself. And as long as it can get enough taxpayer money, uh, it's going to survive no matter how bad a job it does.
0: Well, answer that then for me, because on a rational basis, it's a puzzle that people in Chicago, seeing their murder rates, I was just talking about that before you came on, will elect the even more radical of the two Democrats who were running. It, how, how does Machine explain how a person votes?
2: Because the Chicago Teachers Union has so much money. I'll give you the example I know the real numbers. Um, in, this, in Baltimore City, which has 21 schools in which not a single student, not one, could do math. The teachers, the, 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 the machine, the bureaucracy, has a $1,300,000,000 a year budget. Now, that means a reformer out here on their own raising money trying to make a uh-huh, case uh-huh. is up against an institution so big right. that breaking through. Now, I think what is what used to happen in the old days was eventually people would get so infuriated that it would begin to break uh, and I think that's going to happen again. If you All right, me. hold
0: on if you would, Mr. Speaker. Sure. Speaker, yeah, because we're going to take a break. Dennis Prager here, marks to the majority. It's up at DennisPrager.com. Delighted to stay on here with Newt Gingrich, one of those handful of people who needs no introduction. But, of course, he's former Speaker of the House and a true, as my producer said during the break, a true political scientist book just came out, March to the Majority, the Real Story of the Republican Revolution. And we're talking about politics today and the machine and people voting for people who do no good for them, as in Chicago. Do you have a theory as to what animates all these uh, teachers' unions? These are people who are theoretically committed to children and under whose auspices children have been hurt relentlessly. Do you have an explanation?
2: Well, I I think it's a couple of different streams that came together almost to create a whirlpool. Um, First of all, you had a very long commitment going back to, to Dewey of uh, educational theorists who were very left-wing, very anti-American civilization, and who did not want children to learn facts uh, because facts are hard things, and they wanted children to be malleable so they could become part of a almost like the, the rise of new Soviet man and, and the Soviets. We, we really underestimate how deeply the left hated uh, Western civilization and in particular hated uh, the particularly effective American model. Uh, second, you have departments of education. Uh, so, so the longer we've gone, the less power there is in the classroom, the more power there is in bureaucracies. And these bureaucracies all adopted philosophies that are stupid. <clears throat> and they have turned, te- teaching at its best is a missionary tradition. You are out there converting young people into believing that ideas matter, that knowledge matters, that they have a great future, and it's worth them investing in that future. bureaucrats get through the day. And if you go and you look at today at all too many uh, teachers' lunchrooms, they're just sitting and gossiping. They're they're not into the world of ideas. They're not into the world of teaching. Um, They're they're people with a job. Uh, And then third, you had people who were very power-oriented. And and you have the tradition of the union movement, which was that you shouldn't work too hard uh, because that would, in fact, uh, complete the job and it would be unfair to your friends who don't want to work hard. So people who work really hard were called rate breakers and were discriminated against. Uh, and so you end up with a teacher's union, and, and it's almost a Leninist model of power from the top where the top people in these unions are extraordinarily hard left, very willing to use their power, have, have found models to, to raise enormous amounts of money. Uh, I, we did uh, one podcast at, at Newt's World, where we had somebody who estimated that they have like $5 billion a year nationwide to spend influencing politics. So wow. you get you get around to a school board election. Hmm. Most people don't care. The teachers' union cares. Hmm. And so their candidates win. This is what happened in Chicago. I mean, their candidate who actually worked for the teachers' union won the mayor's race. Uh, so guess who's going to be the dominant political force in Chicago for the next four years? There was a great, uh, interesting book called A Republican Looks at His Party, written by Eisenhower's speechwriter in the 50s. And in this, I was born in Harrisburg, so I was fascinated with it. Philadelphia was the last Republican big city machine. And so this bright, naive, young, idealistic professor drives down to Philadelphia to see the head of the machine. And he says, you know, for the good of the city, you should do A, B, and C. The guy listens patiently and says, son... I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. And he says, but if you do that, <laughs> it will wreck the system. <laughs> he says, yes, son, but I will own the wreckage.
0: That's a great line. That's, the, that's, in effect, the motto of the left in general. Right. So what does your book tell us?
2: The book says that cheerful persistence is important, that for 16 years uh, we worked to understand what it would take to be a majority. Uh, that uh, we listened to the American people. Uh, We understood both the lesson of of Abraham Lincoln, who said that with popular sentiment, anything is possible. Without popular sentiment, nothing is possible. And we listened to Ronald Reagan, who in his farewell address said, all of these great victories came from you, the American people. It was your voice. It was your phone call. It was your message. Uh, And so we grew the contract with America in which every single item was uh, 60 or 70% support, and collectively they were overwhelmingly positive. And we had learned over that 16-year period we just had to be a lot bigger. I mean, the House Republican Party in the mid-1980s was not big enough uh, to, in fact, win um, on a nationwide basis. We were like a mid-sized college team trying to play in the Super Bowl. And so I spent literally over a decade of my life, along with Joe Gaylord, who was my partner in this project, and we went out and, and we uh, we invented the GOPAC training tapes, which sent out. There were 55,000 activists getting a tape every month, and they were designed to train and, and shape the culture of the Republican Party into a, a popular, people-oriented, idea-oriented, solution-oriented system. And we made the decision we would run everywhere. So we 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 didn't target. We 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 had. All but three districts in the country had Republican candidates in 1994. We beat Danny Roszankowski, chairman of Ways and Means in downtown Chicago. And then when we won, uh, which was an enormous shock to everybody because nobody except about six of us thought we could win a majority. When we won, we pivoted. And for four years, we out-negotiated Bill Clinton. We got welfare reform, Medicare reform, the largest capital gains tax cut in history, and you know, I'm proud to say I, I authored the only four balanced budgets in your lifetime.
0: What a great menu or prescription for the present day.
2: Yeah. Right. Well, th- th- this, this book is a playbook for today right? based on the history of yesterday.
0: Again, the book, folks, is marked to the majority. I, I'm I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to understand. I, I, I know you'll believe me because you know me fairly well. It's not to put you on the spot. it is only because I so want to know what you will say. Are okay. You, okay, here goes. Are you confident that even if everything is done, elections will be fairly decided?
2: No, not confident. Uh, I am confident that, and this is this goes back to my very early days in politics. Uh, when I watched Democrats uh, steal races in Georgia. And as a historian, I watched FDR win a governor's race in part because the Bronx machine was prepared to steal the election if they had to when he was running for governor. Uh, So I start with a premise. Republicans have to have as their goal in every election to win by a margin larger than the Democrats can steal. And that's just an objective reality of the system we live in. Uh, and, and uh, you know, do I wish it was different? You know, I, you've heard me say before that the great problem on the left is that they saw The Lion King and thought it was a documentary. And they think they live in a world where lions and zebras sing and dance together. Well, the great problem on the right is that we wish there was some mechanism mm-hmm. which would lead to fairness.
0: All right, back uh, in a moment. This is really important. When it comes to your family's health, proactivity is key. With the world becoming increasingly unpredictable, you can't afford to take chances when it comes to your health. Introducing the Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit, the gold standard solution for your peace of mind. Inside, you'll find eight critical medications like ivermectin, amoxicillin, Z-Pak, and more, accompanied by a comprehensive and easy-to-follow guidebook empowering you to take back control of your health. From tick bites to COVID to extreme bioterror events, you're covered at any time. The wellness company's chief medical board is made up of none other than Dr. Drew Pinsky, Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. Harvey Risch, and more truth-telling doctors who are committed to building a parallel health care system. This medical emergency kit will be your lifeline. Visit twc.health Prager. Use the promo code Prager for an exclusive 10% discount. Secure your family's health today with the wellness company's medical emergency kit. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Male Female Hour on the Dennis Prager Show, the second hour every Wednesday. I do believe it is most honest talk about men and women in the American media. And the reason, well, there are many reasons. One, I don't shy away from any topic. Two, and this is a big one, I'm neither a man fan nor a woman fan. I'm a good person fan, and good people and bad people come in both varieties. Is that fair? I think that's fair. Well, on rare, rare occasions, other than Alison Armstrong, I don't don't even remember. When was the last time I had a guest on a male-female hour? Do you remember? Wow, if you don't remember, then it's very rare. So I have a young woman uh, here. I, uh, I'm laughing. She knows why I'm laughing.
3: <laughs>
0: because the as I said to her as she came into the studio, the only thing I am at all nervous about is pronouncing her last name. So before I explain why that is a dilemma, please understand she is Danish. Meaning, meaning from Denmark. My wife and I discovered her in Denmark when I spoke there last year. A speech, by the way, which I will be putting up. Uh, it's a, a, really a shame I didn't. I I, got, I was honored to speak in the Danish Parliament, not to the Danish Parliament, though there were parliamentarians there, but in in the Parliament on freedom, and I'll I'll put it up. So she was sent to interview me because the man who was supposed to interview me from a conservative uh, newspaper in Denmark got sick. And I I hope he is well, so he will understand that I am delighted he got sick. I know that sounds disgusting. (laughs) I admit it. (laughs) But I never would have met Astrid. uh, And I think it took 10 minutes for my wife and I, no, for my wife and me, uh, to invite her to stay with us and come to California, which she did uh, last, uh, about six months ago, and now is back now. Uh, Anyway, she's a remarkable, conservative, remarkable woman. So here is my one dilemma, her last name, and I really, you see, you have to understand, folks, I admit I take some pride in my ability to pronounce other languages. I've learned quite a few, at least rudimentarily. And I can make a lot of sounds, but Danish has sounds that nobody else has. Is that fair to say, Astrid?
1: Uh, It is fair. I think we have sounds that we only share with Sweden and Norway.
0: Oh, you do share with them. So her last name in Danish is... Is spelled H-O-G with two dots over the O, which we call umlaut. Mm. But it's not an umlaut.
1: No, it's uh, spelled with a letter that is only Danish, uh, and it's called an Ö, and it's an O that has a line going through it. Oh,
0: it's the O with the line, not yes. with the dots.
1: Yeah, o but with the line, it's yes. pronounced like O with umlaut.
0: Well, O with umlaut would be ø. Was that correct?
1: It was very, very good. Wow.
0: (laughs) I'm shocked. So her last name would be pronounced Hu. Hu.
1: "Hu." Very, very good. Hu.
0: (laughs) What is your name? Astrid Hu. Astrid, Astrid. It's like who's on first. It's sort of, you wouldn't know this. (laughs) But my colleagues here are cracking up. You can't tell that Alan is cracking up because... He's
1: cracking up on the inside. That, that's correct. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah.
0: Anyway, uh, th- this HOG human being is remarkable. And uh, uh, she is one of the most... Oh, at, at 30 years of age, or whatever you are, you're about 30, right? 31. 31. It is one of the most prominent conservatives in Denmark, or as she calls it, Denmark. Denmark. Denmark and uh, she writes and she broadcasts in Denmark I, I'm going to get to the male female issue in a moment but I just want, want to reinforce something I have, I have said to my listeners all of my life that there is no place on earth with anywhere near the active conservative movement as America is that fair?
1: I think it's fair not knowing the entire world. I think it's fair.
0: That so we America today is the greatest exporter of toxic ideas and the greatest exporter of good ideas. Mm. That, that it's a, it's the battleground is the United States. Mm. Okay, so uh, we'll get a little personal. Mm? That was a risk you took coming on as you well knew.
1: I'm an open book.
0: You are an open book, which proves to me that the importance of being open. I, I didn't put two and two together with you. I, I always tell people that I've always aspired to transparency, and you—you uh, you are another uh, person like that. Okay, so we have a crisis in the United States of right now, the largest percentage of people age 40 who have never been married in the history of the United States. It was 8% uh, in the 1980s. Mm. 1940s. No, no, no. Take a look. I was shocked. Take a look. Maybe you're right. You think it was the 1940s. What you're saying makes sense, but I think it was... Uh, take a look anyway. It was... All right. Even if it was the 1940s, it, my point remains. Mm. We went from from very rare to now 25%. A quarter of the human beings in the United States who are age 40, up to age 40, uh, uh, have never been married. Mm. Is there something analogous in Denmark?
1: Yes, definitely. And I think uh, it has to do with the same uh, causes behind it. Um, I believe that the main issue today is probably that a lot of men can cannot find women who will marry them in Denmark. Um, it's, I saw a a statistic saying that in Denmark, one out of five males will be involuntarily childless.
0: Well, involuntarily, uh, why not say involuntarily single?
1: (laughs) Um, it's, it's a good question. It's a good question. Uh, because it's measuring two different things. You can be single and still become a father. But if you never become a father, it shows that no one has deemed you worthy to be with.
0: And one fifth. Yes. So one out of every five men your age will not have children. Yes. And what's the percentage of women?
1: It's less than that, but it's going up. I can't remember the exact figure, but it's enough to make a woman of 31 years of age a bit worried.
0: <laughs> well, that's, that's your openness, which I so appreciate. Well, by the way, I, I, don't, I don't want to uh, in any way make you self-conscious, but I think people will want to tune in to the video of this uh, of this broadcast right now. Not to see me, needless to say, but to see Astrid. And uh, that is at the Salem News Channel. You can see uh, all the broadcasts on video. I'm going to be back with her in a moment and talk about these critically important subjects. Male-female hour talking about a crisis in the entire developed world. Of people not marrying people, not having children, so i'm a i i I know well she's so stable that it won't embarrass her but nevertheless <laughs> I'll, I'll i I can understand she's a beautiful, brilliant young woman, and she's thirty one and it ain't easy to find a guy in Denmark and it ain't easy to find a guy in the United states and it ain't easy to find a guy in Japan. And so I'm going to ask you, it just occurs to me to ask the obvious. Do you think the crisis is mostly a problem in men or equally for both sexes?
1: I think the problem is driven by women. Uh, And I think the biggest, um, the one who hurt the most are men because it's not good for men to be alone um we see that in all the statistics there is a much higher suicide rate they have much worse health women do fine on their own when it comes to measuring happiness and all that because women are better at we have more close friends so we are less lonely and all that Um, so i think that the problem stems from women that to us we would rather be alone than to be with not the right guy so our standards are higher all right so then yeah. the
0: then the issue really is men if you're saying because there mm-hmm. aren't many not the right guys around
1: yeah i think that you know the first thing that happened of course was was the introduction of the birth uh, control pill um in the 60s which separated Sex from the risk of having a child. And then the other thing that's happened is that in order to have sex, you no, no longer need to get married. So what used to make men and women strive to get married was that. It was a, an access to sex. Um, and now these are completely separated. So the only reason to get married is that you believe you found your soulmate and that can be hard especially today where more women more, more women than men are getting a higher education it also means that to get that education women are moving to the big cities so there are more men than women in the smaller towns and in the countryside and more women than men in the big cities so it's skewing the whole dating market and the men that are single in the cities Because sex is freed and liberated from everything, they have the time of their life. They have no reason to settle down. So for me, a woman of 31 years, the men that are single are playboys, many of them. And if they are not, there's probably a reason that they're not already in a relationship.
0: Well, so why are women of your age so readily giving them sex?
1: Um, That is a very good question. So, one is a culture. Uh, When I grew up, the worst thing you could be as a woman was a prude. Um, Also, the culture keeps telling us that it is a feminist cause to be sexually free. And that uh, it's not true that men have a higher libido than women. It's just the patriarchy that's telling us that. Obviously, it is true. Women have a libido as well, and sometimes a very high libido, but in general, it's much easier for women to forego sex than men, which is, again, another explanatory factor that women are happier single than men are. So I believe that it is the culture, and if you know the left likes to use that term false consciousness, Maybe there is a false consciousness where women believe that uh, free sex without any commitment is good for them, which I would argue it it doesn't make that many women happy because women long for commitment and meaningful relationships.
0: Exactly. So they're working, whether it's Denmark, the US, or elsewhere, they're working against their best interests. Yes. By the way, it's a rare moment where we might have a difference of opinion. Okay. Uh, I don't think most single women are doing that well. Mm. It is true that men need women, but I believe it is equally true that women need men. Having said that, I just want to say, if you ended up single, which I pray to God does not happen, because... You deserve a wonderful family life. I think you could manage it. You are an exceptional human being. But generally speaking, the damage that so many single women are doing in the United States—they are—they are they're, uh, anxious. They—they are much more likely to gravitate to terrible ideas. Uh, than, than married women, especially married women with children. Uh, so uh, I I used to think uh, the way you did, mm. and, and then I look at life, mm. and I think both sexes uh, need each other.
1: I only partially agree because I think it's very important to separate happiness from meaningfulness. I think it's easy to find that happiness when you're single that comes from oh seeing your friends going to a movie feeling free going on a vacation whereas having a meaningful life that comes with having a partner and a family
0: right so it's possible to have a happy meaningless life but but, well the the problem that is they do they do look for meaning and they find it in the wrong places not with a man and children
1: they look for meaning
0: changing society yes
1: exactly exactly um so, All right, so hold it there, because
0: yeah. we're going to take a break. If you'd like to uh, contribute, 1A Prager 776. Uh, Astrid he is my guest from Denmark. The Dennis Prager Show. Hello, everybody. Scientists at the center of the COVID lab leak cover-up admit the decision to downplay the theory was political Because they feared an S-show, you fill in the S-word, from China. High-profile scientists caught up in the controversy over COVID's origins have admitted the decision to play down the lab leak theory was political. Uh, Remember that? Conspiracy theorists, right? Conspiracy mongers. And everything that the conservatives said was a conspiracy monger. Everything that we say is hate monger. And people on the left believe all of that. Internal Slack communications obtained by a House subcommittee investigating the early days of the pandemic showed how scientists who wrote a paper dismissing the idea of a lab incident feared retaliation from the Chinese government. Dr. Andrew Rambeau, a biologist at the University of Edinburgh, was a co-author of the March 2020 Nature magazine. Nature is one of the most prestigious science magazines. Research article titled, The Proximal Origin of SARS-CoV-2, which denounced (laughs) believers of the lab leak theory As conspiracy theorists and racists. That was published in a prestigious scientific newspaper or magazine, journal. It won't matter. There is not a single leftist who will apologize. I wrote 30 years ago, being on the left means never having to say you're sorry. But it won't matter in any way. They will still continue to believe scientists who say anything that they want to believe. We actually ask, does it make sense? Does it make sense is a conservative question. It is not a left-wing question. The left-wing question is, there are two. Do we want to believe it? And who said it? Was it a white... Was it a black? Was it a gay? Who said it is more important to the left than the truth of what was said? Because truth is not a left-wing value. One respondent to that message was Dr. Christian Andersen, a Danish evolutionary biologist and co-author of the paper, who said in response that he totally agrees that that's a very reasonable conclusion, adding... Although I hate when politics is injected into science, but it's impossible not to, especially given the circumstances. Hmm. The notorious Proximal Origin paper was partly commissioned by Dr. Anthony Fauci, who was the then head of the U.S.'s national research agency that had been funding risky virus research at the lab in Wuhan. House Republicans grilled two doctors at the center of the fight over whether the coronavirus emerged from nature or a lab, citing the newly disclosed communications between scientists in early 2020 as evidence of a cover-up, something the scientists strongly refuted. Okay, there you go, my friends. On other matters here, this, this is about as depressing a piece as I have seen, and I see depressing pieces every single day of my life. New York Times report, what's the date on this? July 9th, just happened, or just reported. Men are bearing midriffs in crop tops. Some are cropping their shirts at home, and others are buying from stores' women's sections. Wow, the pictures actually nauseate me. It's nothing to do with gay. I don't think the word gay is even in the article. It's nothing to do with trans. It has nothing to do with that. What nauseates me is men wanting to be women, and we're not talking trans, men bearing midriffs? Will women be attracted? I don't have an answer. Will women be attracted to men wearing bare midriff tops that are sold in women's sections? It is often the case that as summer rolls around, this is the New York Times report, and temperatures rise, so do hemlines. As men have embraced shorter shorts over the past years, some have also started to wear shorter shirts, specifically crop tops. Though men have been known to wear stomach-bearing garments when they exercise or go to the beach. What are they talking about? Stomach-bearing garments when they exercise? I was a member of a gym for years until they demanded that I wear a mask while working out, and I quit. Anyway, you can't get more woke than Equinox, so I quit. I don't remember. Uh, I don't. Maybe, maybe I just didn't notice. The men wearing... Let's see what how did they put it? Stomach-bearing garments. All right. Lately crop tops can be seen on guys at stores and bars. Is that true? There are pictures of them in the New York Times article. Sean, I need your help. Do you see uh, at stars at stores and bars do you see men with Stomach-bearing crop tops? To to yeah, you see, this is the New York Times because the New York Times wants to normalize the pathetic. The New York Times has contempt for civilization as we have, have known it. It's as simple as that. This article is just another example. The, the arts section coverage... Of the sculpted uh, uh, poop in uh, Holland, the what they called what was it? The poop sculptures, or turd? Sorry, the turd sculptures. It's another example that comes to mind. How seriously they regarded it. Oh, here I am standing next to a turd sculpted that is larger than me. Writes the. New York Times reporter. And now this one. Oh, lately crop tops can be seen on guys at stores and bars, but where? More modest styles hit right at a waistline, but many are cropped short enough to expose a navel because, as we know, men and women love looking at men's navels. The only people who like that are gay men, it's not a put-down, it's just a fact, but that's only 3% of the population. So men men are not wearing this just if they're gay, to the extent that they are wearing it. Some wearers are making theirs by taking scissors to old t-shirts. Others buy them off the rack, often from stores' women's sections. David Mendoza, 29, an operations manager in New York, owns crop tops of varying lengths. Deciding which to wear, he said, often comes down to the occasion. I'm wearing one just to go out casually. The crop top will be mid to long length, Mr. Mendoza said. What is a mister about him? If he is going out with friends, or if he wants a crop top to be the centerpiece of an outfit, he will choose one that shows a lot more skin. God, hope to go out with him. At first, Mr. Mendoza would cut shirts himself, but as he started to wear more crop tops, he discovered that stores including H&M and Rainbow sold women's styles with his preferred fit. Rainbow, he said, had sexier, more open crop tops that are cut even shorter. I have to believe he's gay. I, I, it, it's hard to imagine that a heterosexual guy thinks I'm sexier if people see my stomach. The
3: thing I felt is, uh,
0: an article that is truly... Uh, I think depressing. Two things about it. One, that it's so seriously and positively covered in the New York Times. The other, that it exists. Men in crop tops. I'm such a believer that society needs masculinity. This is the antithesis of masculinity. The antithesis. Show off a little part of your body like a woman does because basically you're indistinguishable from a female. When I think of the World War II generation and the idea that men would have worn crop tops then, it gives you an idea. They quote some professor. Professor Barry said that men wearing crop tops comes at a time of, quote, shifting dynamics of gender. And uh, quote openness in masculine fashion to truly embrace a variety of aesthetics, but it's not masculine fashion. that's the point. It's male fashion, as of the as appeals to the New York Times, but it's not masculine in the least. He added that the f- trend is relatively affordable for most men requiring only a t-shirt and a pair of scissors. To some men, Professor Barry said crop tops can be more than just a fashion statement. He said he has seen crop tops embraced by men with larger bodies, quote, as a way to really kind of affirm their bodies and challenge stigmas against their bodies in public spaces. I don't understand that. I just thought I'd read it to you. So I am curious, if you want to uh, appeal to a woman on a a singles app, you're a guy, you're 30 years old, do you want to wear a crop top? Do Do you think you're more likely to get a woman? If so, we're really in trouble, let me put it to you that way. God, I'm reading this book on the, the end of World War II in the Pacific and, and thinking of the heroic men who invaded Okinawa, the last island before Japan. I think we lost 20,000 men there, I think. It's hard to believe. And I'm thinking about men then and so many, not all, men today the war on masculinity is part of the utterly and totally destructive world of the left. Everything the left touches it ruins. Masculinity is just another example. That's, that's the way it is. 1-8 Prager 776. They, see, I said it. It struck me as since it's o- really an only appeal to gay men, who like to see uh, men's skin revealed, and sure enough, in the article is a picture of two men in crop tops, kissing each other on the lips. Which, as the New York Times believes, this is a uh, a great moment for civilization. I have very very close gay friends. And that they would note the dishonesty of the article in that it it acts as if this is of wide appeal, wider than the uh, gay male community. Okay, Benjamin in Atlanta, Georgia. Hello.
4: Yeah, hey, Dennis. Uh, yeah, as you probably see in the notes there, that the, the my son is in is, is started doing this. He's 21 years old. Um, was in a long time uh, relationship with, with a woman uh, several years three or four years right from high school uh, into college uh, recently broke up with her um, or if they had a breakup I should say But, uh, and uh, just recently he started coming over to he comes over for dinner and stuff he comes and he started wearing eyeliner he has Shown up in crop tops, um, he has what we call his man purse, but it's pretty much a purse and it's it's thrown us off a bit. Um, I have not really confronted him on this, uh, mainly because he's fresh from a breakup. I don't want to really attack anything he's doing or feeling comfortable with, but I feel he's very heterosexual, uh, uh, has not given us any indication of, of homosexuality, and he would be open. If he came to us and said that he was, uh, we, you know, prefer otherwise, but I, you know, just for the problematic side of things. But, uh, anyway, yeah, it's, I I don't know if it's friend groups
0: or, or what, but, uh, why are you you afraid to confront him?
4: I'm not really afraid to confront him. Uh, he's my, he's my second child. He has an older brother, a younger sister, um, I think he talks to his mother and his sister about it a lot more. Uh, My oldest son and I kind of – it's very recent. It's been within the last, you know, really month or two. And with his recent breakup, and it was a really hard one for him, um, I didn't really want to give him anything, you know, I don't want to say emotionally bad, but maybe – I'm a very direct person a lot of times, and so I don't. I I kind of feel like maybe he would take it as an attack or something.
0: He should. Um, you should attack him. <laughs> That's my view. <laughs> You're his father. Who Who else is he going to hear it from? Why Why have he, you decided to look like a woman? I mean, you should put it like that. I I I'll tell you uh,
4: from the ground level. I think it's friend groups, and I think it's. It may well be, be but
0: but uh, whatever the reason, unless he's gay, uh, then you have not only the right, I think, the duty to to confront him. Why have you decided to look more like a woman? Back in a moment. So I read to you this article, the New York Times is obviously advocative of it, men wearing crop tops. The, these men look, every one of them looks gay because I don't know why a heterosexual man would wear a crop top. The odds of his attracting a woman, women looking, wow, what a, what a gorgeous midriff on that guy. The blurring of the distinctions between men and women is one of the things the New York Times has been pushing for all of my life. They're bored. Leftism is the product of secular secularism, affluence, and boredom. They're, everything that exists is meant to be destroyed. The masculine-feminine difference is meant to be destroyed. The irony is the picture they have there. Of two men kissing in the article in the New York Times. It, though they don't mention, I don't believe, in the article the word gay once, uh, it is uh, it is a tacit admission that a man wanting to appeal to women isn't going to walk around with a midriff bearing shirt. Man who just called me and said his son has begun to use air, uh, eyeliner. Uh, and uh, carry a man purse and uh, bear midriff, but he doesn't want to confront him because he just had a sad breakup with a girl. I don't. I don't understand what one has to do with the other. Parents are afraid of their children. I don't say this as, as a criticism. I say it is just a sad description of life. That people don't want to tick off their child. But you can't raise a good child if you don't want to tick them off. If you're afraid of your child, it's the end of the parent-child relationship. I'm not saying this man is. I'm just saying it's a general rule. I used to ask my dad when he would come on my show. In fact, let's schedule that, Sean. July 18th, have uh, one of my interviews with my dad on. It's his birthday. Let's see, he would be 105 this July 18th. He died at 96, so that means uh, he died uh, nine years ago, is that right? That long ago? Hard to believe. He's 96. I used to ask him, so what's the biggest difference between America today and when you grew up? And every time I asked him this question, he had the same answer. Kids run the house, not the parents. My father had a lot of very intelligent insights into life. My son is not going to wear eyeliner and uh, crop tops. If it, I mean, it's not an issue, it's... They wouldn't be they wouldn't be allowed to as long as they're living in my house. And if they weren't living in my house, they they would get my opinion. If they resented me for it, that's part of life. My task is to be their father, not their affirm, affirming friend. Well. I feel, look, I feel for parents. Everything from the New York Times to your your local university is trying to ruin your child. And they're succeeding in vast numbers of cases. Well, let's see here. Tim in Greenville, South Carolina. Hello. How you doing, Dennis? Hi, well, thank you.
5: Love you. Just want to point that out up front, listen to you every day. Thank you. again. But I, I can't believe that no one else has called to remind you of the 80s trend of half shirts that everybody wore as athletes. And exposed midriffs were the way. And uh, if you look up any picture of Doug Flutie from Sports Illustrated, the, on the cover, he's wearing a half shirt. Now he's a little bit longer because he wasn't a big, tall guy.
0: <laughs> but, yeah, but did they wear them? The did they wear them outside of practice? That's the question. Did they wear them so, on a date? Did they wear them to a social <laughs> evening? Did they wear them to a speech? Back in a moment. I'll, I'll I'll take you. I'm not letting you go. I don't think you realize. So. Let's go back to Tim in Greenville. So I've been excoriating the notion that men should wear uh, midriff bearing uh, tops. And you say that, well, a lot of these athletes did in the 80s and so on, and many football players do to this day. But that's, to my knowledge, always in practice. Obviously not, not at ball games and not when they're off the field. So
5: as as a child of the 80s uh I'm I'm 57 now with a with a diabetic stomach so I'd never attempt this now but I did meet my wife at 28 and uh one of the first dates we went on I probably had a short half shirt on that was probably you would find <laughs> disgusting and uh <laughs> it, it was a style back then would we wear it to a business meeting Absolutely not. Oh, by the way, is your wife, if
0: your wife is in in the vicinity, I'd like to talk to her. Is she there? <laughs> no, she's not. I'm sorry. Her. <laughs> have her call in. I want to ask her if she found that appealing. Oh, she did. <laughs> I'll just no, 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 no. She found you <laughs> appealing. I want to <laughs> know if she found that appealing. I, I would. I would have to say yes. She, she, we were
5: both very athletic at the time. She was. She was working out and uh had uh, so you you went to you to you it took her
0: up. to a restaurant and and you wore uh a crop top
5: no no, but we we definitely went out to uh more public places, just as you know it was not a first date when I came to pick her up for our first date, we went for dinner and and yes you know, so I was dressed nice and uh-huh. The second time I was going to really impress her and wear this half shirt. That uh, all right? why do you wearing. think of the
0: trend today? Or does oh, it's... it's ridiculous. So, so why do you? Okay, so why do you think it's ridiculous in light of your call? Well, I would say
5: I would. I was just amazed that no one uh, that you didn't actually remember the trend from that from thirty years ago or so. I guess it was now. It it, it was probably brief. But it was the athletic. Uh, I keep thinking of uh, Olivia Newton-John and you know all that kind of stuff. Everybody was working out. John Travolta and they were all wearing midriffs. Right, exposed. but
0: but Hollywood, we always give a little slack to. You know, they do a lot of things the rest of us don't do. But so it's an. It, so again, I think. Of, explain Madonna, to me why you think it's why do there. you think it's bizarre today in light of your own experience. Uh, I think we have stepped back
5: to a more conservative. I know I have. My my life is much more conservative than it was back then, for sure. Um, would I do it now? I, I wouldn't be surprised to see my grandson at a baseball game, you know, take off his jersey and have a half shirt on or something underneath. That would not shock me. But in a business meeting, again, no. it's
0: it's again it's athletics. That's that's that yep, I I right. do remember seeing. Listen, thank you. It's a joy to speak to you. I would like to talk to your wife. Absolutely. Let's put it this way. The 80s did not have the assault on masculinity in general that we're having today. And that uh, that means that we have to be even more vigilant with regard to preserving a truly, a truly important thing. Anyway, a lot of you are calling in on it. I thank you and... I have to, uh, as we say, move on. There are too many important subjects; it's it's, a, it's problematic. Did I play? I didn't play for you. I know other talk show hosts did. What is the woman's name who uh, sang? Yeah, so so play Jill Scott. Where was this? Is it an R and B in concert? Was that what it was? Essence the Essence Festival. That doesn't help me. What is the Essence Festival? Is it? Essences oh, essences, yeah, the Black Magazine. Fair enough. Okay, go ahead.
3: Who oh, say, Can you see by the blood? In the- This place doesn't smile This is not
0: of mummy to ask her why four million blacks at least have moved to this country from Africa and the Caribbean, since it's the home of the slave and not the home of the free. And they, they hate you, little colored uh, child. Without thinking she's a victim, this woman doesn't seem to have much of a sense of purpose in life other than her fine voice, which she has. Wow. Wow. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com